kind of people are we in this building? What kind of people are we? I want you to think about this. In your mind, I want you to ask yourself, what kind of person am I? And think about the first thing that pops up. Is it, I am a Christian? I am a father or a mother? I am a husband or a wife? I am whatever my job is? I don't know. I can only answer for myself. But think about what comes to your mind about who you are. And now we're going to flip it. If I asked somebody who regularly comes in contact with you, who do you think this person is? If I went to somebody who knows Mitchell and says, what kind of person is Mitchell? How do you think they would respond if I asked somebody that about you? What do you think those people's reactions are going to be? It's a terrible... (laughs) I didn't say it. You did, okay? Um, This is a very common kind of trope, this kind of reaction that you see in like TV and movies. This idea of something really significant happens. Maybe somebody is betrayed, some evil has happened, or maybe something really good or just totally out of character has happened, and you get this rhetorical question of, who are you? Or what kind of people are you? And you get different reactions. You might get the angry Michael Scott reaction. Right? What kind of person are you? I hope that's not the reaction we get, right? Maybe it's the confused one. I don't even know what the kind of person they are. Maybe it's the, man, they are so awesome. I know who they belong to kind of reaction. Think about that. What kind of reaction face, what kind of rhetorical question would apply to you if we asked somebody who knew you? And does it matter? Does it matter how people think of us individually and as a body of believers? Does it matter? Some of y'all are probably wanting to say, no, man, we're just going to live for God, and who cares what other people think? Others are going to be like, yes, our reputation totally matters, and it is everything. Maybe neither one of those is exactly right, but we're going to talk about this because I think God thinks it's important. And we're going to use some passages in Hebrews to talk about that. So we want to follow God and represent Him, then how people react to us when they wonder what kind of people we are I think that reaction does matter. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. So the first nine and a half chapters of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer spends so much time trying to convince his Hebrew audience that there's one really important thing they have to understand. Everything about Christ, his life, death, burial, resurrection— the fact that he was the penultimate sacrifice for our sins, the fact that he is our high priest and our intermediary, all of these things about Christ and God's plan, it is far greater than anything that came before it. Nothing can compare to it. It's the linchpin moment in God's plan to save us, and that saving, that salvation is the ultimate. There is no other option. That is it. That forgiveness and grace 
that we get is without end as long as we follow him and try to live for him. Nine and a half chapters to convey that. So then we start in chapter 10, about the second half, the Hebrew writer starts to give some other instructions. Because this is such an ultimate salvation and nothing else can compare to it, follow God. He's the one who did it. Trust in him. Do what he says. Don't go back, no matter what. If you can't see, there's like at least two or three or four no U-turn, no turning signs. They're on a bridge. You can't turn off of this. You can't go back. Don't do it no matter what. Maybe you think the old way was better. Maybe the old law was better. Don't go back. Maybe you want to go back to your life of sin. Don't go back. When things get tough and you're struggling, don't give up. Don't go back no matter what. And he starts to acknowledge, hey, you've done this. You have suffered and watched your people suffer, and you have not gone back. So we're going to pick up, starting in verse 36 through 39. We had that read for us a moment ago. The Hebrew writer reminds them that God's coming, okay? He is telling them that God's promise is solid in verses 36 and 37, that faith in his promise is the hallmark character of the righteous, and that shrinking back is not acceptable to him. Let's read this verse again, Hebrews 10, 39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So in this passage, I feel like the Hebrew writer is starting to answer this question. What kind of people are we? And he gives them two ways to describe it. First of all, you are not the kind of people who shrink back. Now, when you think shrink back, you probably think, um, oh, I'm scared. But the, the Greek kind of gives this idea that it's more about this isn't worth it and turning around and walking away, of going back to where you were going originally. And in fact, it says shrink back and are destroyed. It's literally saying you don't belong to the people who turn back to the destruction because that's where it leads. We don't shrink back. So what does it look like to shrink back? It looks like not trusting in God's plan, but instead trusting in yourself. It looks like letting the world and its definitions of success rule your life. You're trusting in the world and not in God. It looks like turning back to the sin that you were living in. And it looks like giving up when things are difficult. He says, that's turning back. That is shrinking back to the life you had, and that is not who you belong to. This is not the kingdom and family you belong to now. Instead, we are the kind of people who have faith in his promise. Salvation. He promised it. You are the kind of person who has faith in that. You have faith in his guidance that he will direct you on the right path, not the path of destruction. And you are the kind of people who persevere. That's who you are. So it makes sense 
that the next chapter is Hebrews 11. What do we call chapter 11 in Hebrews a lot of times? The faith chapter. When I was growing up, it was the hall of fame of faith. Um, And like I said in the early service, I'm not sure I like to call it that. Because when we talk about a hall of fame, who are we elevating? The person. And we do, we focus on this. It is rich with all of these stories about heroes of faith who do these amazing things, except for the fact that they're not really the ones doing a lot. You are the kind of people who have faith and don't turn back. Well, let me show you some of these people who have that kind of faith in the one who actually delivers. So maybe we should call it faith lived out, the promise of faith. I don't know. But what I do know is this, that faith lived out that we see in these examples, this is what the people are doing. First of all, they're obeying God's direct instructions. God tells them to do something, they do it. They are participating in God's victories. They're not winning the victory, God is, but they have faith that God's going to provide it and they are with him. And then lastly, we kind of highlight this idea that having faith in God's promises, even though they won't see it fulfilled, this is a highlight of that first half of Hebrews 11. They're not going to see what is promised them for the most part. Let's go to Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. I know it's tiny up here, but that's for me to read, not you, so uh, whatever. Verses 13 through 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Notice what's underlined. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So there's really two big points here that I think we say we are the kind of people who have faith. We're the kind of people who don't shrink back. He's saying this is what that kind of person looks like. This is what the kind of person that we're talking about, a person of faith how they act. First, they knew their ultimate home and allegiance was an eternal one. Talks about how they were looking for a country of their own, a country with God. They knew that where they were at was not the end game. This was not the goal. And secondly, that verse 14, people who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. It's talking about how they live and how they speak. They speak and live with transparency that faith in God and hope in eternal life is ruling their lives. That's what drives them. So we have these two kind of descriptions of what kind of people are we? We're people of faith. What does that look like? We know where we're going. We know that this isn't it, and we speak and we live like it. So here's why this is hard. Why is it so hard to do this? 
We see what's around us. We experience our day-to-day life. We go to our jobs and we have struggles with people and we see our nation and we have things going on that distract us and it kind of makes us feel like this is it. This is what's worth fighting for, this world and this life I have. So think about this. You know, I asked you, how do people view you? What kind of people would somebody, what person would somebody say you are? Well, think about this. How many of us recently have engaged with someone about politics or a social issue in such a way that if somebody saw it, they'd think, man, that's what they're passionate about. Or that's really what drives them in their life. Are we supposed to be that kind of people? Thank you. (laughs) No! That's not what we're here for. That's the world's focus. We're not supposed to be a people who keep what we like or fight for what we like at any cost. We're people who live for that ultimate goal at any cost. Don't shrink back into the world's destruction. Don't turn back into the way that the world wants you to live. And it literally leads to physical and spiritual destruction. We belong to the kind of people who are saved eternally by faith. And we live in an eternal country eventually. And our words, what we type, what we do should reflect that. And we could go on and on about the different ways that this applies to our lives. Maybe it's possessions, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, and self-justification. Maybe it's pleasure, happiness. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. If that's what our focus is on, it rules us, and our words and our reputation will show that. And that's what people will think of when they are asked, what kind of person are they? That's the opposite of what God wants for us. Where we are going and his faith or his promise to us, that is our priority. So, it applies to every aspect of our life, and that's hard, but this is part of our struggle. This is part of our call to believe in the God who saves us. Now let's talk about maybe a part we don't like to think about as much. So, as he moves on, tells a few more hero stories and talks about those victories we like to use in VBS and Bible class. He gets to this part in verse 35 that we get kind of squeamish on and we want to skip over. There were others, okay? You saw the A-team of faith, if you will, and the ones who delivered these, or was with God when they delivered these heroes and these really big victories, but there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Moving on to verse 38. The world was not worthy of them. This country, this world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, us, they be made perfect. When you think of the Hall of Fame of faith, you don't think about these people a lot of times dealing with this. 
Not only did they suffer, not only did they die, they never saw the end that they knew was coming. It wasn't to be revealed to them by the time they died. Now, why does this make us uncomfortable? I think it's this, because suffering and persecution is part of being a people who don't shrink back, but instead live by faith. When he says you don't shrink back, but you persevere in faith, sometimes it's easier to be the person that you're supposed to be when things are going well, but when suffering and persecution come along, some people might turn back, shrink back. God says through the Hebrew writer, that is not who you are. You persevere even when you are losing. Think about that. Somebody is put to death, the world sees that as a loss. They see that as they lost the game, they lost the battle. But we know we win the war. If we lose for the sake of our faith and perseverance, we win because we know we have trusted in the one who delivers ultimate victory. And Christ is our ultimate example in this. In chapter 12, moving on into chapter 12, he brings up the idea that Christ is our ultimate example in suffering for the ultimate goal, the ultimate win. It says, for the joy set before him, the perfect, holy, and righteous Son of God, God in the flesh, wasn't worried about this country. He was worried about what was to come. That was his focus. That was his goal. He knew it was worth enduring here without losing faith, focus, and without giving up the character God the Father expected of him. And that is our example. Now let's put a little bit more positive spin. I'm going to not take up an hour more, okay? Um, I would, would direct you, sorry, to 1 Peter 1, because 1 Peter chapter 1 actually echoes a lot of these ideas, and I really love the way Peter writes about it. He talks about suffering and trials and how it purifies and refines and perfects our faith. But in verses 8 and 9, I love this statement. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Have we seen Jesus with our eyes? No, but we love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If they're crying, I figure it's a good time to take a water break and relieve my voice, right? I love it. I really do. It's weird. Um, we have joy, even when everything is going wrong, even when things don't feel right, and we feel like the world might be winning. We have joy because we know how it ends, but there's something else here. It's not just about what's going on in the end. Inexpressible and glor in, in glorious joy here because we are receiving the result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. We have been forgiven of our sins, correct? That's usually when you say, amen. We've been forgiven of our sins, correct? We are continuously being forgiven of our sin. The blood continuously washes us as we walk with him. Yes? And we know 
that we won't have to worry about it anymore one day at all. We don't have to worry about it now as we follow him, but we know we'll live with him one day. This should fill us with joy, right? And that's important to think about. That's important to keep in mind. We are not people who shrink back and cower back to the ways of the world because we're scared. Instead, we have faith and we persevere through it. And we persevere in faith because we know where we're going. We know who we belong to. And we've already received blessings from him because of his nature and his trust or his uh, promise of salvation. And it's important to remember this because we got to think about what we do with this. Okay, If that's the kind of people God wants us to be, if we want people to say that's who they are, they persevere and they have faith and they know where they're going, and they have joy, even when things are weird. We don't just leave it at that. We don't just endure and embody this attitude and deal with it until the end. No, that means we have to do something with it. Because we have good news, don't we? Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, the world wants to get you to stress-free. No burdens, no worries, everything's fine. Happiness and joy and contentment. Jesus actually doesn't necessarily promise that concept here. He actually tells us, you see this burden you've got? You can't carry it. You will fail and it leads to destruction. But I have a burden that's much better. I have a burden that's much easier and lighter. We have received from him because of our faith already rest and direction and purpose. We have faith and where we're going should give us joy. It should give us peace. We have these things already, so we need to tell people about it. Whether by our words, our actions, our lives, we have good news about the things we have already received and where we're going. So how do we respond and live out to be the people we're supposed to be? Well, first of all, we tell people about it. But secondly, we understand this. If I know I'm the kind of person who doesn't belong to this country, this world, but I belong to God and his kingdom, I'm looking for that country of my own with him one day, right? If I know the struggles and the things that the world chase after don't matter, it gives us or should give us an incredible freedom. If I'm not worried about chasing after monetary gain and security for myself, but instead I'm focused on the kingdom, it should free me up to help and to give. It should free me up to love others as Christ and God loves us if I know they are not my enemy. Sin and death are the enemy, and they're collateral damage. It's a freeing thing to think about the fact we're the kind of people who don't belong here. And why this matters, because if we do these things, if we free ourselves up to help and to give and to lose by the world's standards in order to help and to do things for the kingdom of God around us, when we're really focused on that, we shine God's light. And we're free to do it. 
We are the light of the world. And when they see that light, God's light reflected from us, who do they glorify? Do they glorify us or do they glorify God? And that's our mission, right? So when you do these things, when you tell people about this good news and this life that you have and the kind of person you're trying to be and the kind of faith you're trying to live out, and you make it obvious where you belong and who you belong to, and you live in such a way that you're able to do these things for the world around you, guess what? You're going to get some funny looks. And people are going to ask, who are you? I don't want the who are you angry face because of something I'm focused on in this world. I want the who are you confused face because I just did something for God in such a way that it makes people wonder, what kind of person is that? We as a people want to be people who make others look at us and go, what kind of people are they? Even better, overjoyed because of a blessing that they just saw come from God. Who are you people? That's our goal. We got to know who we are. We don't shrink back. We live by faith. We know where we belong and where we're going. We know we can persevere with joy. And that frees us to love and to serve those around us so they know not just who we are, but who the God we serve is. So today, if you have forgotten how to be that person, one of the blessings that God gives us in our community is the ability to remind each other who we're supposed to be. Sometimes we need that. If you need that today, we have people that will be down here to receive you in just a moment, or you can find an elder or anybody and talk to them about how you need to be the person that God wants us to be. And you want people to see who we are in your life. But if you've done that, don't be worried about shrinking back. You've never turned away from the path of destruction. If you've never given your life to God and trusted and given faith to that promise, that's what God wants for you, to live with Him eternally. That's the kind of person He wants you to be. And you can do that by giving your life over to Him in baptism and serving Him. Whatever need you have this morning, feel free to take care of it as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.